Besides incurrence data, we all want it, but what goes into making these products available for safe navigation or just to help us plan that weekend getaway at the beach? Let's go behind the scenes with the office that brings us real-time tides and currents data for the U.S. This is Diving Deeper, and I'm your host, Kate Nielsen. Here to join us today is Pat Burke, an oceanographer with NOAA's Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services. Hi, Pat. Welcome to our show. Hi, Kate. Thanks for inviting me here today. So, Pat, to start, and just to be sure we're all kind of on the same page here, can you remind our listeners what is the difference between tides and currents? Sure. Tides are changes in water level due to the gravitational pull of the sun and the moon and the rotation of the earth. As a real-life example, you know, usually when you go to the beach uh, in the morning, you can go set your chair up near the water's edge. You know, you might be building a sandcastle. Then for a couple hours, you go out and swim, enjoy other other aspects. And then in the afternoon, you notice that you might have to move your chair back up the beach Mm -hmm. and your sandcastle's disappeared. And that's because the tide has come in and, 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 you know, you're at a high tide condition. With currents is really the movement of, of water, and this is due to a number of reasons. One reason could be due to the tide. You know, as we said, the, the water level goes up and down, and when that happens, the water does move from one region to another. Great examples of this are when you go to a, a bay environment like the Chesapeake Bay or, mm-hmm. or Cook Inlet in Alaska, you'll see these currents coming in and out of the entrance to the channels. Another uh, an example of, of a current would be uh, due to waves or winds. In this case, the winds and the waves are moving water, and, in, and also it's also moving the sand that's underneath. And this is relevant to coastal managers who are interested in beach erosion and for even for lifeguards, you know, looking for rip currents. A third example of occurrence would be something like a, associated with large-scale motions, like the Gulf Stream, okay. uh, where mo- water is moving uh, along the east coast from areas of the tropics up into the northeast and out to Europe. And these types of currents are associated with the variety of climates that we are experiencing here uh, in the United States. Okay. Great. Thank you. And why do we need to study tides and currents? Well, there's a multitude of reasons for studying these processes, and it really depends on the audience. For NOAA, we have an important mission to support safe and efficient navigation. Mm -hmm. But others are interested in in just knowing where the fish are. People are trying to prepare for uh, oncoming coastal hazards, such as uh, a tsunami or a tidal flooding event, Mm -hmm. or, you know, things associated with storm surge. Others are looking to support response, emergency response events such as oil spills mm-hmm. or even uh, the onset of a hurricane approaching the coast. City planners sometimes are looking uh, to determine property boundaries, and so they're looking for information related to, to datums or mean sea level, which is associated with the tide. Um, people are looking to understand the effects of climate change through long-term water level records that we have at co-ops. And others like me are just just curious about uh, the tides and currents, you know, we we go out to the beach or we, we have a boat and we want to just go out and enjoy enjoy the outside. I'm sure we could do a whole podcast on this, but can you tell us, um, maybe just briefly explain to our listeners what tools you use to collect tides and currents data? I'd like to say first that uh, technology has come a long way <laughs> in the last 10 to 15 years. So our our ability to study tides and currents uh, has really been reflected in this improvement in, in computer computers and processing and, mm-hmm. and technology. With tides, you know, you could place a stick in the water, uh, 
which what we call a tide staff, and just make a manual reading off off of that stick. Or we can use scientific instrumentation. Here at co-ops, we use a multitude of, of technologies, ranging from acoustic and, and microwave technology and out to pressure sensors. And this equipment is usually land-based, meaning mm-hmm. it's, it's tied to a, a supporting structure like a pier. And we record all our data electronically. So with currents... The technology has really driven the sophistication of how we collect our data. Okay. Um, a lot of this is, a lot of this is below the surface, and so it's not re- really uh, transparent to the public. But we we have a variety of sensors as well. We have what we call acoustic Doppler profilers, which we usually place at the ocean bottom, mm-hmm. and through sound wave technology, we are we collect information. We also can deploy our current meters on buoys mm-hmm. and also on piers as well, and Emerging technologies such as drifters and gliders and HF radar are also available to us to collect uh, information about currents. Great. So, Pat, how are NOAA scientists or or NOAA oceanographers on your team involved in collecting and and distributing tides and currents data for all of us to use? Can you maybe paint the picture for us for what happens from deploying a current meter or installing a water level gauge to maintaining it, collecting that data and analyzing it to to kind of ultimately getting it up there on your website so we can we can see it, we can get that data. Sure. Here at Co-ops, we operate and maintain a large network of real-time water-level gauges and current meters across the country. Some of our larger programs are the National Water Level Observation Network and the Physical Oceanographic Real-Time System. We collect this data continuously and beam this data to satellites, which send, then send our data to our office. We monitor the observing systems 24 hours a day, seven days a week to make sure that the data are good for all of our users. We analyze these large data sets to develop numerous products, such as our tide predictions and mm-hmm. our tidal current predictions, that are used by the mariners and recreational boating community every day. We also deploy water-level gauges and current meters over shorter durations for special studies and operate several water-level stations on the Great Lakes as well. All this information can be accessed by a click of a button on our Tides and Currents website. And do you or, or can you collect data on tides and currents during storms? Of course we can. A lot of our systems have been designed with the intent to withstand large storms, such as uh, Hurricane Katrina mm-hmm. or Sandy. Yeah. As storms approach, users flock to our website to get real-time information about rising water levels near their location. We have a, a product called Quick Look that gives you a very easy access to a lot of our stations across the coast in the affected area. NOAA weather forecasters and storm forecasters also use our real-time data to help them issue coastal hazard watches and warnings. This is what we can do to keep the public safe. So, Pat, are the stations designed any differently in these hurricane-prone areas to be sure you get that critical data? Over the last few years, we have set a priority to go back and attempt to harden what we call harden some of our stations Basically, what we have done is we have fortified our stations in a way to withstand a hurricane. And this effort is ongoing, and we've done a lot of work in the Gulf of Mexico and now uh, along the East Coast in New Jersey and New York. And we hope to continue this effort in areas that are prone to uh, hurricane-type storm surges and flooding. Pat, I know many of us refer to your products, the products from your office, as we plan for an upcoming trip or or day at the beach. But who are some of the other main users of your data? 
So for co-ops, our main users are the maritime commerce community. Uh, they use our data every day for safe maneuvering and docking operations and to determine if their large ships can fit under bridges. We also work very closely with coastal managers and city planners and recreational boaters in, in the larger recreational community. We also support emergency responders and search and rescue uh, operations. For example, when a, when a plane may go down in, in the ocean, people come to us to, to get the supporting, uh, supporting information that they can use to run their trajectory models. Another important user group are coastal engineers and people interested in habitat restoration. Mm -hmm. for you know planning and design and the larger scientific community in general colleges universities always come to our our website looking for information to support their studies so back now to that that general public audience um, probably most of us listening here today what is your most popular resource for us to use to get tides and currents data as an operational data hub Many people visit our site every day to access our vast library of water level and currents data. Some of our more popular resources are the real-time water level and currents data we provide through our physical oceanographic real-time systems, as well as our prediction, prediction tools, either our NOAA tides or NOAA current predictions. Mm -hmm. People are always interested in knowing when the next high tide is arriving or the next uh, maximum uh, current will be coming. The tide tables are part of NOAA's navigation services, and many people use our tides and currents data in conjunction with NOAA nautical charts. Okay. So, Pat, you have tidal data for just thousands of locations. Can you tell us, um, or do you know, what is the most frequently downloaded data set? It's really hard to say what our most popular location is, but I would like to say that we have a continuous water level record in San Francisco Bay dating back to the 1850s. Coastal scientists and engineers and climate scientists will download decades of monthly means and hourly data at any time for their research. Popularity is also event-driven. For example, when Sandy struck the East Coast, we had a lot of web traffic accessing our data from Florida to Maine. A few years earlier, during Deepwater Horizon, there was a lot of interest in the Gulf of Mexico as well. Okay, that makes sense. It's really been great today to explore this topic with you and... And just now, to help, to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better, can you tell us what inspired you to get into this field? So growing up in New Jersey, I was always, uh, always had an affinity for the beach and, and being close to what it provided. As I went to college and into graduate school, I found that the combination of science and math, along with the opportunity to be outside and explore, was a perfect melding of of my interests, and so I, I became an oceanographer. Great. Thank you. So finally, Pat, my last question for you today is just to see if you had any final closing words to leave our listeners with. I'd just like to say that oceanography is a fun and rewarding field, and it's always changing. I also encourage people to go visit our website. We have a wide variety of products and services in addition to our tides and currents information. For example, we have information on harmful algal blooms, mm -hmm. as well as uh, model-based forecast information and long-term sea level trends. Thanks, Pat, for joining us today on Diving Deeper to talk about tides and currents. 
To learn more, please visit tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. That's all for today's show. Diving Deeper will be going on a break through September 2014. For more great information on the National Ocean Service, don't forget to tune in to our Making Waves podcast.